0: Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started.
1: I've been doing it since I had Wonder, and that was almost three years ago now, and I still feel like I'm very much a beginner. (laughs) They definitely see where they're coming from. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's definitely hard to, I don't know, feel like you know what you're doing, especially because it's so much unlearning and relearning. It's really hard to um, shift the mindset over. But I do feel like I shifted my mindset over before I actually started with the training. Like I um, just started to recognize on my own that I wanted to do more ethical training and I wanted to not, you know, do some of the harmful things I was doing before. So I think like before I even really knew what positive reinforcement was, I was kind of already getting into that mindset. So I think that helped me kind of like catch on to it more quickly.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's the same for me because Wonder used to gallop away from people before I got him. And oh no. I <laughs> Yeah, it was really bad. Anytime we saw a halter, he was gone. So
0: there oh no. <laughs> was
1: <laughs> there would be times I would just sit out there in the pasture for like two hours waiting for any kind of interaction from him. And I did still ride at that point, but it did bring me into more ethical training because that's all he wanted to do. (laughs) He was not willing to work with pressure. Just didn't work for him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you see that your horse is running away from you, that's a pretty clear sign (laughs) that maybe something needs to be changed. (laughs) Right.
1: And that was when I first met him, too. So that was something he had already learned. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. I will say too, I've had such an interesting experience with my current horses because I started with them um, doing positive reinforcement and, um, you know, trying to be more ethical with them. And I didn't start that with Coco. I started with Coco, you know, using harsh equipment and, you know, kicking her. And I even sometimes when she would misbehave, I would like, you know, give her a smack and things like that. So I, I guess I started with Coco with that kind of expectation of like, sometimes I do things that you don't like and that hurt you. And she had to kind of unlearn that and learn that like I changed and I'm going to treat her in a different way. But with my current horses, that's kind of all they've seen from me. So it's been interesting to see like the difference there too. And I'm sure maybe like with um, Phoenix, you maybe have seen that too. I'm not sure like how you were with Phoenix when you first got him, but I think maybe like you could have seen some of that too.
1: Yeah, definitely. With Phoenix, it sucked because he was so motivated by food because he had been starved. So I couldn't even really train him for the first like oh, no. six months. Yeah. So I just hung out with him a lot at first, but he was definitely a lot more curious than Wonder had ever been. And Wonder had to do a lot of unlearning for my behaviors as well. Because I was working under an instructor yeah. with him for a while too. And she was great at what she did, but it wasn't what I wanted to do and not what he wanted to do either so it was a lot yeah (laughs) a lot of work for both of us but I think now that we only use positive reinforcement he's got a lot better of a relationship with me and people as a whole that's really nice to see Mm -hmm.
0: yeah that is really good I hope it's the same for my horses I'm not sure they I mean they don't really interact with anyone other than me and their owner Joe obviously but um they they are very friendly and they're very happy to see people. And whenever people come in, they'll, you know, they, they just act happy and they'll stick their heads out and like make a noise. So I'm like, oh, they're happy. And then a lot of the time when they're out, they're ready to come back in and see people and you know get their food. But <laughs> of course, but I do think that it's much better. <laughs> much better than it would be otherwise, probably.
1: Yeah. Mine are very into people now. They don't see them very often because with Sage not liking people we don't have very many visitors but anytime we do everyone wants to go to the barn and see them and they're always there they're always waiting
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's great that's one of the things that I love the most about it I mean I also had experiences with Coco where she wouldn't let me catch her not Mm. very often I would say it only really happened once or twice because when it started happening that's sort of when things you know started to change but she I remember I was trying to catch her for like I don't know 30 or 45 minutes it was really not good and then I had to ask the barn owner at that time to help me catch her and then because that barn owner was the one who fed her she like basically went right up to her and I just right. remember being embarrassed and being like wow she really clearly doesn't like me like this is sad <laughs> yeah it's but, really hard not to take yeah, things like that then personally. It got a lot better yeah it is and I mean like to some extent Like, yes, we shouldn't take it personally, but also it is like something that, you know, we have control over that we are doing. So in a situation like that, I feel like you kind of, to some extent, could take it personally and realize that it's something you are doing. But obviously, like in other situations where it's more of like a pain related behavior than like something you're directly causing like that, you definitely shouldn't take personally. But I'm kind of glad I was embarrassed because it kind of helped (laughs) me be like, okay, I got to change what I'm doing and figure out how I can. Um, be better but coincidentally right after that she actually had um, two major injuries or like health issues in a row because she had um, she tore her suspensory ligament in her hind right leg and so that was a pretty long recovery I would say maybe eight months or so recovery and then right after she recovered from that I started putting her out on a grass pasture not for very long maybe for like you know starting like one hour, two hours, three hours, probably up to like four hours, but she got laminitis from that pretty severely. And so then, you know, right after she healed from the ligament tear, she was then dealing with laminitis and that took probably another year for her to become sound again. So that was kind of like almost two years that I couldn't ride her. I couldn't really do any type of work with her. So that also changed my perspective because I was there, I was doing mostly self-care at that time. Um, I had someone else feed in the morning, but then in the afternoon and evening, I came and, you know, did everything else that she needed, like giving her her evening hay, her evening food, cleaning the stall because she was on stall rest and um, just taking care of her in general. So that kind of made me go from like, oh, I show up once or twice a week and ride and leave to, oh, this is like my horse that I'm caring for. So that changed my perspective a lot. And I think it really helped. Although obviously it's not like the ideal circumstance to go through because it was, a lot of pain for her and a lot of, you know, money on my part with vet bills, so. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure.
1: I had a similar experience, too, because when I first got Wonder, he was on full service stall board. He had pasture and turnout, but it wasn't constant. But then they stopped feeding hay, so then I had to kind of take that job over. And then eventually we moved, because that's not acceptable, obviously,
0: (laughs) But then
1: when we moved, it was fully self-care. I had to even go get the hay myself. And we had already been using clicker training at that point, but being the sole caretaker kind of helped me
0: progress farther into that. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And it's hard to go to that too. I remember feeling kind of I don't know, panicked. Like I felt like I was kind of getting in over my head with some of it because I was like, okay, I got into this because I liked riding and now I have to kind of learn how to really like horses overall. (laughs) Cause I think with like lessons and everything, people don't really teach you how to like horses. They teach you how to like riding. So it was kind of like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And now in the opposite, I don't really like riding. And I mean, I, I wouldn't say I don't like it. Like it's, it's fun. And I would it's something that I do want to try to do again eventually but it's definitely not at all my priority or why I'm interested in horses and I think that's something a lot of positive reinforcement people share too
1: yeah I think so too obviously I'd love to ride my guys I think they'd be awesome to go on trail rides and stuff. yeah <laughs> we're not there yet and that's fine with me because all the groundwork
0: is just as fun Yeah, exactly. I don't know exactly where I would ride right now. We have a round pen, but whenever they're in there, they really want grass. So it's not really, (laughs) (laughs) it's usually not good for, for work for longer than a few minutes because they're ready to go back to the grass, which is fair. So I don't know where I would ride, but one day I do want to get started. That's a hard
1: thing too, because both of mine also want to eat grass the whole time. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) yeah. Even like a trail walk or something isn't feasible right
0: now. Yeah, I definitely want to work with them with the grass. But since they also only get grass for a few hours a day, they, I mean, it's kind of hard to expect them to not want to eat the grass, especially when they're only out there a few hours a day. I mean, even if they were out there all the time, it's their natural behavior, but especially only being out there a few hours.
1: Yeah, mine are out 24-7 and they would still dive bomb for it, so... (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah it's it's hard I mean working with food is so good but then it's it's hard to keep them focused when there's other better food sources around (laughs) I've tried training with the grass like I've tried um you know picking up the grass and putting some of it in my pouch and using that but they don't really seem to care they're like no (laughs) the grass from the ground is better
1: I have to try that with phoenix because sometimes even just timothy pellets are way too high of value for him still oh, wow. it's been like two years since i've <laughs> brought him home but
0: i have to try wow. that i mean that's that's maybe a good problem to have but like he's very motivated <laughs> i guess but yeah <laughs> i just like to be able to
1: work in full contact eventually so grass might be our go-to
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that could be a good idea i don't know i've been working in full contact a lot but I was looking back through some of my training videos um, yesterday, I think, because my phone was full of storage, so I had to, like, delete some videos, and I was looking back at my protected contact videos, and they were actually, like, I feel like there was so much better focus and doing so much better. Like, I really could see from that how helpful protected contact is, and, like, I'm not saying it's not going well in full contact, but I think maybe I'm going to go back and do some more stuff in protected contact, because it's just... It like looked so good in the videos. (laughs) Protected contact has a lot of benefits
1: because Phoenix is like that too, where even if we're just between some step in T-posts and bailing twine, his focus is a lot better. He can actually perform the behaviors I'm asking for, but you take those down. He's he's a different
0: horse. (laughs) Very into it. Yeah. That was in the
1: best ways.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think Mimi is a little like that. She's very into it and she is just kind of she will get in my space like obviously I've worked with her on not being in my space and she does pretty well with it but if she feels frustrated she will definitely get in my space and that's um you know not great because it kind of stresses me out too and I'm like uh I don't know like what's going on I feel like I like I can't focus really either so I think protected contact is really good for her but she's just so willing. It was so strange to me because I heard that um, when she was a riding horse, she like wouldn't go. Like she was very lazy, and it was really hard to get her to go. It's like, wow, I would not expect that because she's so <laughs> willing and so kind of like overly excited about it with positive reinforcement. Yeah, I feel like with crossover horses, you often kind of get the opposite of what you think you're gonna get. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was expecting Ren to be the most enthusiastic or the quickest one to catch on because she's done kind of a variety of training throughout her life. Like she used to be a police horse and she's just done a lot of different things. So I think Joe and I were both expecting Ren to be the one who would really catch on and really do great. And I mean, they're all doing really well, but Mimi was the one who caught on the quickest and she's the one who I would say is the furthest along with what she's learning although not with stay she's still struggling <laughs> with stay I've been trying various ways of working on stay but that one's hard for her so Mimi reminds me a lot of Phoenix whenever you talk about her
1: it's I just think of Phoenix <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and they, they look slightly similar too I mean obviously they're like very different breeds but they both are you know light colored and I'd imagine similar
1: in size I don't know how tall Mimi is but I feel like Phoenix is pretty small, but I'm not sure if it's because I'm used to wonder because he's about 16 (laughs) hands. (laughs) Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, he's a Yeah, Mimi is pretty small. I'm not really sure how tall she is, but I mean, she's a pony. She's a Welsh pony, so she's pretty small.
1: When I got Phoenix, he was 13 too, but honestly, I think he's
0: reaching 15 hands. (laughs) He's... He's grown a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's definitely bigger than Nini then (laughs) because she is definitely not 15. She's probably 13 something or um, 14, like in the low 14s. I'm not sure. She's pretty small. I think I'm on the bigger side to ever be able to ride her, but I think if I had like a really well fitting saddle, I think I could do maybe short rides on her. And I mean, I'm a fairly small person, and not like I- I'm very short. I'm only like five two or less, so <laughs> I think it could work. But I would definitely have to make sure I had a properly fitting saddle, and like could make sure she's feeling good and not gonna have anything be hurt. And I'm obviously not long rides or anything either.
1: Yeah that's my biggest fear with Phoenix because he'll be six next year so I kind of want to start doing some riding stuff but even though he's larger I feel like I'm way too big for him because when I got back into riding I was riding only saddlebreds. They're pretty big. yeah. (laughs) Phoenix feels like he's just this like mini not even a horse (laughs) (laughs) but I think he'll be okay. It's just he's gonna be a short ride horse too though because he's so cowhawked. I don't even know if it's really ethical to ride him long-term.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I think with Mimi too, um, I mean, she doesn't really seem to have any like health issues that I know about, but I'm just like, I'm a little nervous. Um, I don't know. She doesn't like to have her feet picked out and things like that. So I think she maybe has some discomfort in her hooves, but I, I'm not exactly sure what, and like, I don't own her. So I don't, you know, it's not really my place to like get the vet out or anything like that. And it's, she's not in like, you know, noticeable pain where someone would be like, oh, she needs treatment. But I do think there could be something minor going on there.
1: Phoenix has some tough issues as well, because they're just such bad condition still even though I've had him so long it's hard to get the right shape for him Mm. but that's the first priority that's hard yeah it definitely takes priority over riding but we have done some stuff he can tack up really well he stands
0: nicely for that that's good yeah yeah that's really good maybe I'll start working on tacking up and things like that um, and just get them prepared in advance for when I do ride but I think my plan is to hopefully soon start something or other with Wren under saddle and just start you know start tacking her up obviously and getting her used to that because she hasn't been ridden in a really long time so I I would definitely take a lot of preparation for that and I know that Adele the willing equine also has a really good um, positive reinforcement under saddle course that is available with her membership which I am a part of so I might use that as a resource as well and I think that would really help really need to join that (laughs) yeah it's really great I really loved the foundation course because it um it was just a good way of taking the skills and like things that I already knew in my head and having her show me how to put them into practice better so I think that that was really really helpful even for people who already kind of feel like they have the foundations down I still feel like there's a lot you can learn from it
1: I think there always is there's like endless amounts of learning we can all do. Oh, yeah,
0: <laughs> yes, definitely. And then after that course, that's how you're able to join her membership with all of her other things. So it's really helpful. I actually still haven't finished the foundation course because it's taking me a really long time with three horses. And I've also been really busy like with work and stuff this summer. So I'm really only able to work with them maybe I would say two to three times a week on average. But with all three of them, like I said, it's hard to really get <laughs> it all done so I'm moving really slowly but I'm trying to be comfortable with that and just you know know that I'm doing the best I can and slowly is fine so I think it'll be okay (laughs) I think sometimes slower is better I'm still taking the liberated
1: horse course by Mosey Truitt I've been taking that for like a year and a half now so
0: (laughs) it's totally fine to take your time
1: (laughs) I kind of put it on the back burner for a while you get the most out
0: of it right That makes sense. I just want to do so many other courses. And I'm like, I need to get through this one so I can have time to do the other ones. But I mean, I'm not really in a rush. I have a long time to continue learning about all of this. So yes, I will take my time and get to it when I get to it. But there's just so many cool things out there. There There's
1: so many. That's my problem, too. I just want to keep taking more and more. I'm not even done with the last (laughs) one.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. I think there's, I really want to do the saddle fit for life course, too, because I really want to learn about saddle fit. I feel like that's one of the things that I just know nothing about. Like, even mm-hmm. the average person could probably say, like, this saddle fits or doesn't fit, like, in a really basic, like, non- you know, complete way. But I just like have no idea. Like I know some of the really dumb rules that are like the basics, like, oh, you should be able to stick like fingers under it or something. But like, I just don't know. So I feel like that's something that I want to do because I'm just really lacking in knowledge in that area. And I found with like riding schools and lesson programs, you don't really learn much of that. They just kind of give you a saddle and say it fits every horse. And then you just kind of accept that. Yeah, I started with Western lessons and they were like the, the teacher was really good and she was like really um, she really cared about her horses and really seemed to have their welfare in mind, which was really good. But one thing she did was she just had like a, you know, tack room full of saddles and you just pick whichever one you feel like picking and put it on whichever horse and there was no checking if it fit or anything. It just kind of goes on. And so that wasn't great because, I mean, they're also pretty heavy Western saddles. Like, I mean, it's not not like an English ill-fitting saddle is good, but the saddles were so heavy. I'm just like, oh, God, this (laughs) that was probably really not good for the horses. And I remember my lesson horse, like, wouldn't move. Um, And would just stop and just stand there. And I would kick like as hard as I possibly could. And the instructor would just be like, keep kicking, keep kicking. And I would just like really try, but also feel bad. And the horse just wouldn't move. I'm like, uh, (laughs) looking back on that, that was definitely an issue. Like the saddle fit probably at least contributed to that, but
1: (laughs) I'm sure it did. Yeah, because I experienced that a lot in lessons too. And it was to the point where I couldn't even kick the horse harder. The instructor would have to get on and do it for me. And that's not
0: something that should be happening. (laughs) Yeah, that's really not. That's crazy. I mean, I I just like if the horse didn't move, then it was like, all right, you're not going then. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I also remember I spent an entire lesson once trying to put the bridle on my horse because she really didn't want the bit. And so she was raising her head up and I was like, you know, 11 years old or whatever and really short and I just couldn't do it. And so instead of like helping me or, you know, being like, why doesn't the horse really want the bit? Like maybe we should figure out something to do about this they just made me stand in the center of the arena trying to put the bridle on for the entire lesson and I was just like oh god this is if it's not good for me this is not good for the horse I don't really know why this is happening and why somebody doesn't think they should like help but it's fine (laughs) yeah it's really
1: unfortunate that not only do they bully the horse but also the person taking lessons I've had that a lot too and then you just assume if the instructor is not talking to you you're doing good
0: and that's not how it should be either. It's definitely not. I mean, it also like we're paying for this. It should be like an enjoyable experience. <laughs> yeah. Not a torture chamber. Yeah. I mean, I remember not even wanting to take lessons too. Like I loved the horses, but I would be like, oh, maybe I can just take off like a month or whatever. Cause it's so stressful to be in that environment. It'll be better when I can take some time to rest and then go back. It's like, that shouldn't be what it is. Like I, love horses and I never want to be away from them. Like, it wasn't about that. It was just the lesson environment wasn't really welcoming. I always just wanted to spend more
1: time with the horses. I really valued just grooming them
0: and being yeah. near them. Yeah, that's that's very true. And that's pretty much what I did for the last several years. <laughs> never <laughs> really rode. I mean, I don't know. Like, I would occasionally ride, but I don't know. I can never really get back into it. Like, I tried to sort of create, like, an idea of getting back into riding with Coco just like really short like basic rides and I was trying to work with her on trails so that I could take her on on a little trail ride because we had trails at my own barn where where she lived but I could just like never force myself to like get back into it because I'm like I only have an hour to be here I just want to like love on her for an hour I mean if I had all the time in the world maybe I would do that but I don't know. It's just like I wanted to hang out and love on her. So,
1: (laughs) Riding is still one of my goals with my horses, but I find it hard to find motivation to do that, too. I think it's just the lack of knowing what to do for me. Not so much not wanting to do it because it's hard Mm -hmm. to transition completely
0: over and try to figure out how to do things without force. That's very true, and I think if I did start writing again, I think I would probably have a little bit of trouble not falling back into those old things that I used to do. Even though I, I don't feel like I have any trouble with that on the ground. Like writing is just—I haven't done that in so long, and when I did do it, it was like very, you know, negative reinforcement. So I feel like I would have to go back to unlearning a lot with that, which I do want to do sometime, but I think it's going to be hard. <laughs> I just try to ride without any tack
1: at all, and then I don't even have the option. <laughs> And that's been working but it's just, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a lot of solid cues yet for that so it's mostly just I sit there while Wonder grazes for a while and then I get off.
0: but I'm happy <laughs> with that so yeah no that's that's a pretty good way of doing it i I've sat on Ren a couple of times while she was just grazing just because I was like, oh I miss being on a horse and just gonna sit on her while she grazes, but I haven't really done anything more than that and I've only done that like twice or maybe even once like very few times but it's also partially because I don't want to do anything that like Joe isn't comfortable with me doing and like I yeah. think she is very comfortable with me doing whatever I would like to do because I mean she very open to me just kind of treating them like my own and being there and doing Um, whatever I feel like doing with them. But I also like, yeah, these technically aren't my horses, even though I do feel like they are. So I need to (laughs) not do anything that she wouldn't want me to do. Yeah, that's got to be hard. I've considered leasing
1: before, because I want to ride. But I just, I feel like I would not want to do whatever the owner wants me to do. Or I would do something wrong. Or there's so many things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. There's an equestrian team at my college. And I'm like, often very tempted to join that because I'm like oh it would be so cool it's like partially subsidized by the college so I could get lessons and do shows and it would be like kind of cheap and like I wouldn't you know have to do that to my own horses but then when I think through it I'm like oh my god like I'm literally saying that I don't think it's ethical because I don't want to do it to my own horses so I I don't really want to do it there either but it's just kind of tempting to get back into like the I guess more popular mainstream things to be able to have like that access to like community too because like I don't think there's anyone in my area that does positive reinforcement or clicker training because I actually posted in the Facebook group for Charlotte area equestrians which is basically like all of the equestrians in North Carolina and I posted like hey does anyone else do clicker training like I just want to see what's going on and only one person commented and said that they did it like out of i don't know there's probably like over ten thousand people in that group and no one else said that they did it and maybe they just didn't see my post but still like there's not really like a physical community in the area so like the online community helps with that but it's just kind of tempting to go back to physical spaces where you can have that community and i have to like remind myself there's a reason why i left those spaces that's really hard to deal with too, is
1: not feeling like there is anyone around you. And oftentimes there's not. I think I found yeah. 26 people that I made a group with on Facebook in my area, but the closest one is 30 minutes away. And that's still not very wow. close.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's community. cool that
1: you found anybody though. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah.
0: I found a lot more than I thought I would, but it's just really hard yeah. to feel. I mean, maybe I connected. need to look better maybe I mean I can I can look better and see but <laughs> it's very possible people just wouldn't have seen my one post but yeah <laughs> yeah I
1: think the Facebook group for equestrians in my state is like 15,000 I want to say and out of that there was only 25 ish so it's pretty yeah <laughs>
0: pretty small I do think it's growing now yeah. oh yeah I think so too I think hopefully it will grow and I mean, I'm trying to kind of share it with the people around me, too. I mean, none of them have really caught on to it or decided to start doing it like the same way that I have. But I mean, Joe sees a lot of it since it's like her horses and I'm around her and I've showed a few of her friends when they've come over like what I've been working on. So I don't know. I'm trying to be more like willing to share it with other people because I'm very anxious of people, I guess, judging me and being like, oh, that's like hippie stuff what are you doing (laughs) and just judging me but I'm trying to be more open about it it is hard with where I work though because I don't want to have any you know I don't want to feel bad about like where I work or them to feel like I'm you know promoting things that they don't like or that don't fit with like what they're doing um so I have to be careful too because that's not my intention at all but I don't want it to come across that way of like oh I'm doing this and I'm like you know, being force free or whatever and then them feel like that's an attack on them, which it's really not. I mean, I, for the most part, enjoy where I work. There are problems with it and I'm going to be leaving during the school year to focus on school and everything. But I mean, I've worked there for a year and a half and I've had a lot of good experiences there too. So like, it's definitely not me sharing those things would not be meant to be an attack on them, but I'm also like just anxious people will interpret it that way.
1: Yeah. I think it can be really hard to be supportive of what people are doing currently, but also try to advocate for the animals and also not make them feel like you're attacking them in any way because it can come off aggressively even if you don't mean it to it's really hard to be cautious of your wording
0: I mean I, I agree and I think because so much of positive reinforcement is trying to be more ethical and more kind it's kind of feels like it's implying that to not do that is to be less ethical and less kind which in a lot of cases is true but I mean not in all cases and it's just Not meant to be an attack on people because most of us came from that place too. It's not like we, you know, hate those people and think they're terrible people. Like it's just kind of a fluid process of learning more information and, you know, slowly changing the way you do things. And nobody is really at like a fully ethical or fully force free spot where they can kind of look back and be like, I'm superior. Like everyone's just kind of on their own journey trying to become better in small ways. So I just don't want people to feel like I'm like judging them or thinking they're worse because there's a lot of people who do a lot better than I do. And there's also, you know, people who do worse than I do. And I came from that place where I was worse. So, like, it's just kind of a process. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I agree with that completely. And I don't think even the most ethical trainer is as
0: ethical as possible because you can always do more. Yeah, that's very true. I think it's hard to really come to terms with that, especially when we're trying so hard. I mean, I know one thing that was really hard for me was when I was really trying to, you know, take care of my horses and make sure that they were feeling good and, you know, the best that they could in their circumstances. And then I found out that their teeth are just absolutely terrible from the grazing muzzle and especially Mimi's teeth. They all have damage, but Mimi is by far the worst. And it's just hard because like when I look at her teeth they look so filed down and like the nerve of the tooth is exposed and everything and it's just looks really painful and so it's so hard when I'm trying to like make sure they're not in any pain and I feel like I'm doing a good job and then you find something like that and it feels like you're kind of getting set back but those things will always come up and you know it's just kind of a process to try to deal with those things and stop more negative things from happening. But yeah, you can never really get to a place where everything is just perfect and you're not going to find roadblocks like that.
1: It's a unrealistic realistic expectation to just
0: assume it's all rainbows and butterflies all the
1: time. Things always come up. Even if you do your best, something's going to oh, yeah. happen eventually.
0: <laughs> really? And I don't know, something I also struggled with was, like with Coco, I felt like I tried so hard to, I don't know, be better for her and try to you know treat her in a more ethical way and everything but she was the one who was always like having issues and always you know underweight or overweight or just things weren't going right and then I see these other people around me who just like show up once a week to ride and don't really pay much attention to their horse and their horse is like great and doesn't have any noticeable health issues or anything and it's just like oh it doesn't feel fair and also, her passing, what, in my opinion, was a little bit younger than I would have liked. I mean, she was 28. She wasn't young, but I was really hoping she would live, you know, into her 30s, hopefully. And so it's just, you know, I gave her so much care and tried so hard. And then some other people just throw their horse out in the pasture and they live to be 40. And it's like, uh, <laughs> doesn't feel fair, but that's just kind of, <laughs> I think that's just how it goes. You just do what you can and you don't really know what's going to happen.
1: I feel like sometimes we get the worst animals we can. Like all of mine have some sort of issue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel I like we also maybe just notice a bit more too, though. Yeah, because yeah. I, I feel think- like a lot of people, their animals do have the health issues, but they just don't really, they don't pay attention or they don't care so much or they just work them through it. But like, we are kind of like looking and trying to see what's going on, so
1: Yeah, with horses, especially, I feel like so many things go unnoticed because
0: some of their signs are so subtle, you have to have a really good eye to catch them. And that's definitely something that they should teach more of, like in lessons and things like that. I mean, I never really learned any of that in lessons other than maybe when the ears are pinned, they're angry or whatever, but I never learned any more about their communication or body language or anything like that. Yeah,
1: I actually got told a lot of wrong information. (laughs) Now that I know oh no. better, but <laughs> yeah, it was hard to unlearn like, all For of example, that.
0: what did they tell you? There was one
1: horse in particular <laughs> who, her name was Sweetness, which was kind of ironic, but she <laughs> had to eventually wear a muzzle when being tacked up because she would just try to bite you the whole time. But she was like this little stumpy saddlebred, probably like 15 hands-ish, and she had been a broodmare most of her life, just came into training like a year prior, and it was just They constantly just said to push her through it or they'd hit her or yank on the cross tie, whatever. But they just wrote it off as her being a sassy
0: chestnut mare, which is obviously not the case. She was in pain. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I've heard a lot of people with the licking and chewing. Um, I hear a lot of conflicting opinions on that. And I've definitely had people tell me like, oh, they're just listening to you and understanding." You know what you were doing. I don't know. I do think that's more of a complicated one, but I don't really think they're you know telling you the whole story with just saying that they're you know listening and understanding what you're doing. It's definitely kind of a stress response oh. of some sort. So yeah, if I see looking
1: and chewing during a training session, that's normally when I step back and try to assess things because that's not a normal thing for my horses. Yeah, they're in a low stress environment. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I've also heard that gelding's dropping is them being relaxed,
0: and I've found that not to be true, at least with my horses. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually don't know much about that at all. I mean, the only gelding that I've ever worked with is Tiny, and I've actually never seen him drop, except like, you know, if he's peeing or something, so... I actually know like nothing about that. Where I work though, a lot of the time when I enter the stall and start cleaning the stall, the horses will drop. And I don't know like why they're doing that. So I would love to learn more about that. But yeah, I I know like almost nothing about that.
1: I don't even really think there's too many studies out there. I've just noticed particularly with Phoenix, if he starts to drop, it's when we've taken a session too long because I'm notorious for that. Then he gets Mm -hmm. overexcited and he starts to drop. And then I notice that and we stop. But with him, I think it's either... (laughs) over arousal just being way too excited about the food which could also bring in some stress
0: yeah I mean I think that makes a lot of sense I think that definitely could be could be why I'm not sure why they would do it when I just enter the stall I would be really interested to like read more about that if there are any studies out there but like you said there may not be much information out there but it is strange because they're just kind of standing in the stall eating their food and then when I open the door and go in I noticed that they'll do it. There's like one or two that do it fairly regularly. And then, I mean, other ones also don't, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just something about being stalled or about me entering. Maybe they have some type of association with people entering the stall that gives them some type of stress response. I don't know. It'd be really interesting to read more about that. I'll have to find some
1: stuff because I haven't found much. It's mostly just been from observations, but I'm sure there's at least one article out there
0: yeah maybe we can try to do an episode on that if we can find any like credible information about it i don't know what's out there but i mean we i guess we would just have to be clear of like this is kind of an under like undergoing research it's not yeah like, what, for sure. what's out there isn't necessarily the only correct answer but that could be interesting because i think a lot of people don't know about that I hope you enjoyed this episode of click
1: treat repeat feel free to check us out on instagram at click treat repeat pod you can find jen at genuine equine and myself at bonafide.bt we upload new episodes every other monday and hope to see you then happy training